Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, ETSU's Bill Gadd College of Pharmacy. You know, I, I said last week I probably wouldn't do an episode this week because of um, uh, Thanksgiving coming up here in, in, uh, in the United States, but um, on this holiday, I am thankful for FDA just pumping out approval after approval after approval right before a holiday. Classic, just high quality work. Um, so, because we got there, I'm not gonna get to every update, but there are two new drugs uh, that I do want to talk about. Uh, and I know that you know you're stuck right now in like the the Newark or ATL waiting to to catch your flight, or you're like sitting in traffic on the interstate because everyone's driving on like the Wednesday before Thanksgiving or the Sunday after going home or whatever. So the pod must go on. We're going to start with uh, FDA's approval on November 15th of Repotrectinib, uh, brand name Ogtyro or Ogtiro. Uh, so Repotrectinib, uh, FDA approved for locally advanced or metastatic ROS1 positive non-small cell lung cancer. And this approval is based off Trident 1, which had 71 people. Uh, that were TKA naive, 71 TKA naive. There were more patients total, but the the, um, the total response rate in those who were uh, naive to tyrosine kinase inhibitors was 79%. Uh, there was a 38% response rate to these folks with ROS1 mutated non-small cell lung cancer who uh, who had received prior TKI therapy. And so a 38% response rate in a second-line setting after TKI um, is, uh, is not... Um, anything to sneeze at. The approval is regardless of first line, second line, but we already have, you know, well-established options like crizotinib and entrectinib in the second line and certinib or latinib maybe in later lines of therapy. And certainly this drug has activity both in the first line setting and in some resistant forms. Um, so it inhibits ROS1, inhibits ROS1 with uh, G2032R uh, mutation as well as TREC mutations. Kind of can guess that by the TRECT uh, in repotrectinib's name. It is given 160 milligrams every day. Sounds nice and simple. Uh, it comes as 40 milligram capsules. That's four capsules a day, and that is 160 milligrams every day with or without food for two weeks. So you take four caps every day for two weeks, and then you increase to 160 BID. Um, there are a couple things to say about this. First, we saw this with Ibrutinib when it first came out as the most notable example where you have a capsule formulation. It's multiple capsules to create your dose. Somewhat burdensome high pill burden for patients initially. For clinicians, it does make it somewhat easy to dose reduce because you don't need to get a new drug prescription, a new copay. You just go, hey, instead of taking four of these, you go take three of these, for example. Um, but as we saw with the brutum in a couple years, uh, you know, or with a laparib, uh, another example, uh, you know, in, in the testing and the development of an investigational drug, I think the capsule dosage form is easier to prepare, especially when you're not sure what the phase two dose would be when you're doing the phase one study. So you have capsules so you can modify the dosage form easily. And then once you figure out what is going to be the common dosage form people will take, you make it a cat, you make it a, a tablet is what we have, have seen before. Now, this is uh, the first of two drugs we'll talk about today with kind of a unique dosing schedule it is taken basically as almost a ramp up, not a ramp up like venetoclax where you're starting low to kind of mitigate the risk of tumor lysis syndrome, but, but to mitigate toxicities uh, otherwise. And it seems to be the big side effect here is dizziness. That was the dose limiting toxicity from the phase one study. So when we get into our warnings and precaution statements, this is the field in the PI where they say, all right, 
This drug causes side effects. These are the side effects we really want you to know about because they're really common. They require intervention or otherwise. 75%, three out of four people had CNS adverse drug reactions. 4% um, of those being grade three or four, the most common being dizziness with 64% median time to onset six days for that dizziness, and that was the dose-limiting toxicity. Uh, ataxia, not being able to taxi, so trouble walking, gait, balance disorders in 29%. Cognitive disorders such as uh, memory impairment or attention problems in 23%. And then mood disorders, uh, you know, only 6%. Now this drug does cross the blood-brain barrier, it does have CNS activity, and this is somewhat of the price you might have to pay for a drug that has CNS activity is CNS side effects. The drug has to get to the side of tumor if it's in the CNS, and once the drug gets in there, it's more likely to cause CNS problems than a drug that doesn't penetrate the blood-brain barrier. As you might expect for a, a, a kinase inhibitor, for a, uh, for a tyrosine kinase inhibitor in lung cancer, it does cause interstitial lung disease or pneumonitis, relatively where 2.9%, uh, an increase in ALT or AST in a little over a third, um, and in, in less than 3% is that grade 3 or 4 um, the median time to onset of this, I think, was two weeks. So you do LFTs every two weeks for the first month and then monthly th thereafter. So it seems to be this this once daily dose for two weeks is mostly to to catch the dizziness and maybe get used to the dizziness as well as catching any really high LFTs before you increase that dose at two weeks. Uh, we also see um, a risk of myalgia. 13% had myalgia and 0.6% in, in that was grade three. Uh, and including some elevated uh, creatine phosphokinase or CPK or CK, depending on your lab. CK or CPK needs to be checked every two weeks for the first uh, two or for the first month and then just periodically thereafter. So that, that risk is greatest in the first month as well. Hyperuricemia was seen in 5%. 0.9% um, was that uh, grade three. It, it's not clear if this is tumor lysis syndrome or, or some other just, you know, uh, metabolic electrolyte uh, issue. Um, you know, crizotinib does this in 12% and tractinib in 9%. So this might be an on-target toxicity, um, as is skeletal fractures seen in 2.3% in with repotrectinib. Uh, Intractinib fractures happen in 5% in peds, so maybe some of these pediatric sarcomas, in 25% pretty high fracture rate. Now, we cannot make great comparisons efficacy-wise because these drugs are based off of their, their use is based off of just response rate. But if we look at a toxicity profile, you know, crizotinib and entrectinib have warnings about visual disorders and disturbances. Repotrectinib does not. Um, entrectinib and crizotinib have warnings for QT prolongation. Repotrectinib does not. Entrectinib has a warning for heart failure. Neither repotrectinib or crizotinib does. And crizotinib has a risk for bradycardia. You can also see some, like, pretty uncommon, but some hypogonadism, like low testosterone levels uh, with crizotinib. And of course, all these drugs have some uh, embryo-fetal toxicity that that uh, can be worrisome as well. So when you're, you're kind of looking at these drugs, you have, you know, activity in the second line setting with reprotrectinib does for some folks, as in the toxicity profile is probably how you're going to select these agents. Um, more toxicity with reprotrectinib, about half had dys dysguisia or dysgesia, so to alter taste. Uh, peripheral neuropathy in 47%, pretty common. Headache in 19%. Um, and then vision disorders occurred in, in 11%, which is like 1 in 10, uh, but not as severe as what was seen with crizotinib and entrectinib. Uh, it has, you know, decent bioavailability, about 50%. It is a, an auto 3A4 inducer, so it induces its own metabolism via CYP3A4. 
At steady state has a half-life of about a day and a half. Most of the drug is eliminated via the feces. Um, about half of that is unchanged. Um, and so there's, it's unlikely that we have any dose reductions for renal or hepatic impairment. It just guesses beyond mild renal or hepatic impairment. It's kind of the usual case. Again, metabolized via CYP34 and secondary glucuronidation. Um, itraconazole increases the, uh, the AUC of this drug as, as itra is a strong 34 and p glycoprotein inhibitor. It increases the uh, reptotrichum AUC 5.9 fold, which means you're given like the equivalent, the patient is experiencing the equivalent of six times the dose with a strong uh, combined 304 and p glycoprotein inhibitor like itraconazole. So big drug interaction, that needs to be avoided. Uh, it is also a little bit of a CYP34 inducer, right? It induces its own metabolism, so the liver is making more of this enzyme, and that greater availability enzyme also is going to metabolize drugs like midazolam or rivaroxaban or pixaban at a greater extent. Uh, midazolam AUC goes down by 69%, more than half. So uh, really needs, there's actually a, a statement about drugs with narrow therapeutic indices that are 304 substrates uh, need to be watched. Um, now, they don't tell you this, but to me, that's rivaroxaban, a pixaban. Any drug like with, with a narrow therapeutic index where uh, too little can lead to bad stuff in, in these cases. Um, Repotrectinib also induces, and we don't know the extent, 2B6, 2C8, 2C19, 2C9, and is an intestinal inhibitor of 304 p-glycer protein and several other transport proteins. We do have this, we do have the... Um, the, the grapefruit interaction to worry about with reprotrectinib as well. Um, interesting to see if, if this ever gets compared head-to-head -to, -head to something like crizotinib or antrectinib in the first-line setting. Um, you know, FDA has been talking recently about some, some older drugs that have just accelerated approvals and have not yet had a confirmatory study. So um, they've had a kind of a long runway to, to show to, to prove benefit. So I, I trust we will see some of that, but it may be many years uh, from now. All right, that was 11.15, Repotrectinib's approval. On 11.16 of last week, we got FDA approval of uh, Cabivacertib, brand name Truquap. Truquap. I don't know how to say it. It's T-R-U-Q-A-P. Uh, this is like the second time in the last couple of years where these people, these drug companies, are putting a Q in the English language without a U following it, and it just, it's offensive to me. Um, so that's one notable thing about the name of this product, Q without a U in the brand name. The other thing is this, I believe, is the first drug that ends in a tib, a matinib, uh, repotrectinib. Our tyrosine kinase numbers tend to end in nib. This ends in a tib. It is a serinine or threonine uh, AKT kinase inhibitor. So AKT1, AKT2, AKT3, these three different isoforms. We're very familiar with like the either EGFR or VEGF or HER2. We have this transmembrane protein, and then you get the, the RAS, RAF, MEK pathway. Well, there's also the PIK3CA um, uh, AKT mTOR pathway. This is in the AKT pathway. And so our approval for this drug, Capivastrotib, is in conjunction with fulvestrant and hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative, uh, locally advanced or metastatic breast cancer after progression with one prior uh, line of uh, hormonal treatment. So presumably an AI uh, or, or tamoxifen. And if they're premenopausal, they need to take an LHRH analog as well, probably like gosrelin. Uh, there's also the Foundation 1 CDX 
was approved as a companion diagnostic because this approval is limited to those patients that fit that criteria. Second line, hormone positive breast cancer. They have a PIK3CA or AKT or P10 alteration. Uh, where PIK3CA or P10 are upstream of AKT, which is upstream of mTOR. We already have a couple approvals in this pathway for breast cancer. We have the Epelisib approval for PI3, uh, PIK3 uh, mutations and Everolimus as an mTOR inhibitor years and years ago, uh, a drug that's fallen way out of practice based on the Bolero trial of Everolimus and um, uh, Eximestane. So this approval is based on Capitello 291, which was an ASCO uh, study published in, in the New England Journal of Medicine at the same time. I didn't cover because the drug was not approved. Figuring once it's approved, I'd come back and revisit that. Uh, it showed almost a doubling of PFS, something like seven plus months median PFS with capivastritib plus fulvestrant versus three months and change median PFS with just fulvestrant. Overall survival trending towards a small improvement, not statistically significant as of yet. Um, you know, half the patients in this study, based on the design, had to have received a prior CDK4-6 inhibitor, which for most people would be your standard first-line treatment for metastatic hormone-positive breast cancer, would be AI plus CDK4-6 inhibitor. Um, the study that I think is great from ASCO, the Sonia study that looked at first-line versus second-line CDK4-6 and showed no difference in overall survival, but a lot less cost a lot less toxicity uh, using CDK4-6 inhibitors in the second line. You provide some justification for, for a comparison to, you know, is not our standard of care uh, here in the States, which for most people are gonna get, you know, uh, palbocyclate plus, you know, uh, an AI first line for these folks. So I mentioned how it works as an AKT uh, serotonin-3-anine kinase inhibitor. This is capivastritib. Uh, the dosing here, also odd, 400 milligrams, P-O-B-I-D, um, and it's available as 120 and 200 milligram uh, uh, tablets. So, so two 200s, P-O, twice a day, four days off, sorry, four days on, three days off. This is dosed based on the modern uh, corporate work schedule of you work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three-day weekend. That's the drug schedule, right? And so... Um, that's how I think of it. That's how I counsel about it. It's counseling for a Monday start, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, three-day weekend, and then start back again. Um, now, this dosing schedule of four days on, three days off, uh, you know, we've had 21 days on, um, seven days off. We had two weeks on, two weeks off, two weeks on, one week off. We've got lawn surf, which is like five days, two days off, then five days, then like 15 days off. Um, so we had some of these weird combinations that do make it challenging to counsel patients, especially those with health literacy. Uh, in the phase one studies, the maximally tolerated doses were determined to be 320 milligrams all the time. That led to a dose limiting toxicity of rash and diarrhea. Then there were 640 milligrams on Monday and Tuesday. No, no, no. Let's say that again. It was 640 milligrams on Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, nothing. So two days on, five days off. They could tolerate 640 milligrams on those two days, but the DLT was uh, hyperglycemia. That was the dose limiting toxicity. With 480 milligrams, four days on, three days off, there was no dose limiting toxicity, which I guess was like the Goldilocks regimen, not too toxic, just right. Uh, and that's why we ended up with this, this 400 BID for four days on, three days off uh, for uh, capivastritib. Now, 
there is a warning precautions for hyperglycemia, not surprising. Alpelisib works in the same pathway, also has a, has a, a warning precaution statement for hyperglycemia. Now, a little odd how they classify hypergalcemia, or hyperglycemia, sorry, hyperglycemia, warnings, precautions, capivastor tip. 18% of people have had hyperglycemia, um, but when they look at the labs, like a random elevated glucose happened in 50% of folks. Um, now, only 2.8% was at grade three or four. Hyperglycemia appears less than those with alpelisib. I will point out though, they did not allow patients with type 1 diabetes or insulin-dependent type 2 diabetes to be enrolled in this study. And I really have to think that if you were a high-level clinician trying to enroll a patient on a study like this, if your patient had diabetes, you might not put them on this. So in the real world, I think this hyperglycemia rate would be higher. That's my guess. Uh, diarrhea warning. Diarrhea happened in 72% which let's just round to 100%. 70% a lot of people. Like who are the people who didn't have diarrhea on this drug? Now 9% of this was grade three or four um, and the PI recommends to start uh, aggressive oral hydration and anti-diarrheals at the sign of the first episode of diarrhea, which means these people have to have an anti-diarrhea like loperamide with them when they have this first, when they uh, first start this. More than half at 58% had cutaneous reactions. 17%, that's basically one in five, a grade three or four cutaneous reaction, including erythema multiforma, uh, palmar plantar erythrodiesthesia, or hand-foot syndrome, um, and then drug reaction with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms or dress uh, also happened. So these folks probably also, many of them are gonna need topical or systemic corticosteroids for these rashes. Um, as in well as there's a warning for embryo fetal toxicity, as you might expect. Um, now, this PIK3 uh, AKT mTOR pathway is in like all of our cells. And if you're in the AKT1, 2, and 3, you're probably inhibiting this pathway in a lot of cells. So it's not surprising that we have a pretty long toxicity profile. Actually, sort of impressive that we don't have as uh, as many warnings precaution statements with this drug. So nausea in 35% versus 14% with placebo. So a lot of nausea, three times as much vomiting, 21% versus seven, only 7% 7 vomiting in placebo. Again, and these are metastatic breast cancer patients. Stomatitis in 25% versus 5% in, in placebo. So a lot of stomatitis with Everolimus. This looks to be less than that. Um, fatigue 38% versus 27%, maybe not terrible. Interesting, UTI occurred in 14% versus 5%, renal injury in 11% versus 1.5%, decreased lymphocytes in 49%, decreased neutrophils in 25%, only 1.9% of that neutropenia was grade three or four. Uh, decreases in calcium and potassium occurred in 19 and 17% respectively, an increase in creatinine occurred in 19%. That could be due to the drug's inhibition of the OC2, OCT2 transporter where creatinine is reabsorbed. Um, so overall, a drug that certainly has you know pretty robust progression-free survival activity, don't know if it's going to have overall survival benefit at this point, um, appears to have some tolerability issues, but maybe less uh, toxicity, at least on paper by number, than apelsib and then Everolimus. So may end up being better tolerant. We don't know from these studies, and, and you know a year from now to lower tier journal, the patient report outcomes, quality of life will be reported. Uh, which we don't have uh, right now. Uh, the drug only has 29% bioavailability and a trend I've noticed over time for these oral kinase inhibitors. The low bioavailability drugs 
they stay in the lumen of the GI tract and they cause some irritation and some diarrhea that people can develop tolerance to. That's my assumption that would happen with this drug. Uh, don't know that. I do know that in the, the dose reductions for toxicity, they do have a specific box that if the diarrhea doesn't resolve within 28 days, um, not to restart the drug, which implies that that has happened or it's been close to happening that people actually have gone four days or uh, four weeks with grade three diarrhea that doesn't resolve. So I get the sense that diarrhea can be pretty bad and people ought to be pretty prepared and aggressive to manage this diarrhea, which if you work with a lot of TKIs and oral anti oral oncolytics, you're probably pretty pretty uh, uh, aware of doing that. Although presumably the people doing the study were aware of that too. And we had some issues it looks like. Uh, kind of a short half-life drug, eight hours, metabolized by CYP34 and UGT2B7. It's excreted about 50-50, I think it's 45% renal, 50% um, in, the, in the feces. Both itraconazole is a strong 3-4 inhibitor and erythromycin or verapamil is moderate 3-4 inhibitors. Increase the uh, exposure of, of capiversatib uh, by 1.7 and 1.4 fold respectively. Uh, the PI does have a, a modest dose reduction recommend of 320 milligrams BID for both those, uh, those approvals. Um, for three or four inducers like rifampin, it increases or decreases the exposure of this drug by 70%. Um, this is a, a three or four inhibitor, uh, capivastor tip, so it increases the midazolam exposure by 1.8 fold. So one milligram of midazolam feels like 1.8, which for a narrow therapeutic next drug uh, could be problematic. Uh, 2D6 substrates, uh, AUC increased twofold. A lot of our CNS drugs, a lot of SSRIs are 2D6 substrates. Um, a lot of opioids like oxycodone 2D6 substrates. Um, UGT1A1 substrates uh, increase the AUC of rotegravir 1.7 fold. This drug also inhibits many, many protein transporters, including breast cancer resistance protein, organic acid uh, transporter uh, 1B1, uh, 1B3. Organic acid transporter 3, MATE E1, MATE E2K, and then OCT2. So this drug, if you are a breast cancer like clinical pharmacist and you do a ton of work with breast cancer patients, this is a drug that's going to be used in these folks. I don't know if it's going to be used preferentially to a pelisib or not. I see some advantages. I see some disadvantages. This drug has a lot, an extensive potential for drug-drug interactions. If you are looking closely for these, you will find people that have these drug-drug interactions that get caught. These are wonderful case reports throughout that need to be reported. These case reports get cited in drug-drug interaction checkers. They're, they're really great contributions to the medical literature because we don't have a ton of information on these other things. It's modeling that says this is what we think it will do. Wonder, it, we really need this more hard data about the drug-drug interaction uh, profiles of these agents to help us make the best decisions for these patients. So uh, the best decision that I'm gonna make uh, this weekend is to eat a whole bunch of deviled eggs. Um, so I, I hope you have your own version of that good decision to make uh, in this holiday weekend if you are celebrating. Safe travels to and, and from wherever you are going. Um, you can follow me on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at PharmDNib. You can follow me on X, uh, Threads, and Instagram at Uncle Farm Pod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm -hmm.